Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest in the Beginner's Mind series is Mr. Alan O'Neill, all the way from Ireland. He's a highly experienced consultant, author, and keynote speaker specializing in change management, organization culture, and customer experience. And I'm confident people, especially in leadership positions, will find our conversation today immensely valuable because there's tons of material that we'll talk about on managing change, living in a VUCA world, developing a powerful, resilient organization culture. Uh, Mr. O'Neill is a visiting professor with ESA Beirut. For more than 30 years, he has worked with some of the most amazing companies across the world, supporting iconic brands like Toyota, Getty Images, Harrods of London, United Nations, Dubai Duty Free, Primark, Intel, Moish Chandon, with his whole mark the seven steps to profit uh, process uh, framework, which I really like. With tailored keynotes on change management, culture, and customer experience, Alan has a reputation for making the complex simple. And I love that because we all are familiar with certain very complex um, things and the jargon used in B-School, not having a clue about how to apply it. Well, he breaks it down for you with his down-to-earth and practical approach. He's the author of Premium is the New Black, put the customer at the heart of your decision-making, and his new book, Culture Matters, The Four Must-Have Values in Your Culture, which we'll talk about today as well, was released in 2020. Our discussion today will be centered around helping leaders drive change, thrive in a VUCA world, and building an agile culture. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in giving a huge round of virtual applause to Mr. Alan O'Neill. Thank you. Good to see you, Simmer, and thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, thank you, Alan, for accepting it. And you bring a wealth of wisdom with combined 30 years of experience, you know, helping organizations build strong cultures, driving change, and so much more. I'm looking forward to this, and I'm sure our audiences will benefit a lot. Um, let's jump, uh, jump right into it, and I'd like to um, begin by talking about your journey, Alan. Um, what inspired you to focus specifically on this niche of uh, building culture and change management. You're a change expert, um, known across the world for your expertise in helping leaders manage change. Um, what brought you to this niche uh, where you're obviously doing very well? Well, my first role after school, Simmer, was in retail. So for a number of years, for 14 years, I was a, a practical hands-on retailer and mm -hmm. I owned my own chain of stores. Nice. And then I found that my kids were growing up and I wasn't spending as much time as I wanted to with them. So I jumped out of retail and moved mm -hmm. into the world of training. So okay. running training programs. Mm -hmm. And for a number of years, I, I found my niche simmer and I really found that I was kind of able to engage with the team and break complex issues down into simple, uh, practical tools. Right. But then I also found after a number of years that I became a little bit cynical about training. Mm -hmm. Let me explain. Job. Training has a role in organizational change, but it's a subset. It's an, it's a, an enabler of change rather than just the end in itself. I How did I define that? I found myself doing lots of great quality training programs. And yeah, mm -hmm. getting all of these great feedback sheets at the end of an event. But mm -hmm. what I found, if I went back to a client six months later to check mm -hmm. in on their progress since the training, Right. Far too often, I found that they hadn't moved on, that the right. change hadn't impacted on the ground. Uh -huh. and that was so often due to leadership or other organizational issues. Sure. And around the same time, I did my MBA, and it just changed, shifted my head completely to a new space mm -hmm. of recognizing that I was actually in the business of managing change, not mm -hmm. just doing great training programs. Agreed. So over the years, 
I developed this model of change management and, of course, adapting the best in class from out there and mm -hmm. then develop my own models over time. And mm -hmm. I landed on culture particularly because what I what I realize is the same way that every aspect of change in an organization, whether mm -hmm. it's a merger, an acquisition, mm -hmm. downsizing, upsizing, a new system, a, a new territory that you want to move into, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Everything is influenced by culture. Culture mm -hmm. is at the heart, at the, it's the foundation for everything. You know right. the expression, culture eats strategy for breakfast? Indeed. Well, I live it and breathe it because all of my stories and my and I'm, I'm, my stories are coming to you from inside the boardroom, not mm -hmm. outside as an academic looking in. I'm mm -hmm. currently, today I'm heading to London to work hands-on with a client on a consulting program where they're refreshing their culture. So mm -hmm. that's it, Simmer. Uh, it's great. all about culture. Culture's at the heart of everything. No, I definitely agree with it. And I've, I've seen that in my 14 years as well, working with corporations as well, you know, no matter how persuasive, how powerful your message was, at the end of the day, uh, some bright, young, motivated fellow, young or old, doesn't matter, some someone who's energetic, who wants to drive change is going to walk out of the conference room with the desire to make a difference. And then, then that individual is going to run into a roadblock. And that roadblock is going to be, look, you know, you probably knew round here, or you don't know how things actually work work around here. Let me show you how it's done around here, or yeah. it's always been done around here. And then, you know, the, the whole motivation, the entire enthusiasm goes for a toss, you know, because culture was that roadblock. Thank you, Alan. I completely agree with that. So what you're doing in essence yeah. is deep work with organizations, not just powerful persuasive messages, but also the cultural tinkering that might be required to go with it. Um, that brings me to our next question. Um, in your vast experience of more than 30 years, what, what are some of the key cultural issues um, that pop up as roadblocks in the way of um, whether it's accelerated change, embracing new technology, being agile, what cultural roadblocks have, do you think are the most common? And what are your top tips to leaders, especially who might be tuning in to help overcome them? So the top obstacle to change, Simmer, is no surprise when you hear this, it's about people. Mm -hmm. Because every change of, regardless of the scale of the change or the, or the focus or the, the driver of the change, yeah. it requires people to behave differently as a result. Mm -hmm. So going through change is difficult for some people, for a lot of people, because of the fear of the unknown and mm -hmm. the uncertainty of what will, the, what will change, what will this mean for my role or for what I do, will mm -hmm. I be able for it? You get all these kind of uncertainties and, um, and, and consequently then when you get that at scale where you've got a number of people uh -huh. feeling that uncertainty and resistance, that's the main blocker of change. Much right. less than money, strangely, or, but to me, it's that resistance to change from people. But there mm -hmm. are ways to overcome that. And mm -hmm. the, key, the key enabler of change is, well, clearly it's about leadership and having a process. Right. But including people, Simmer. The mm -hmm. more you include people in as relevant a way as you can, and I mean right down to the front line, for sure. example. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working with a number of oil and gas clients in Dubai. Mm -hmm. With one of them, we're doing a culture refresh program. Mm -hmm. And to do that, in order to help them reshape a new culture, to help them drive their business forward mm -hmm. for the next mm -hmm. X number of years, 
we've got to refresh the culture. Now, how mm-hmm. do we do that? We start by doing a piece of discovery. Mm-hmm. And discovery is where I get under the hood of the using two methodologies. Mm-hmm. One is a survey, which you would expect. And every single person in the company gets an opportunity to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the level of buy-in and engagement into shaping a new culture is much higher. Mm-hmm. I also conduct a lot of one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three interviews. Mm-hmm. So I interview lots of people to get some anecdotal uh, commentary to support the survey. Sure. And I don't just interview leaders. Mm-hmm. I go down onto the factory floor, literally, and mm-hmm. I get into a huddle with a mm-hmm. number of people on the factory floor, maybe bring them for coffee or if I can, but in their, in their comfort zone and yeah. chat to them about what their world is like and what are the things that are helping or hindering. And I'm listening with huge amounts of empathy, mm-hmm. genuine empathy and mm-hmm. authenticity to mm-hmm. understand their world. Now, all of that helps us to genuinely identify the gap between the aspired new culture mm-hmm. and the existing culture. And right. that gives us the scale, but it also gets buy-in. And that issue that I mentioned, which is a resistance to change, uh-huh. that is significantly helped by including people and genuinely listening. Absolutely. And th- those are rare qualities these days, because when you talk about going into a cafe and talking to people off work in, in an authentic a humble sort of way with a genuine intent to listen and respect the other person's point of view, people open up and they share and they reveal uh, things that they might not in the conference room or in the boardroom, for example. Uh, and, and if you leave it to that, to that moment, you'll be left with all the information that you previously had in mind that you thought you need to relay to these people in order them to bring them on your side. While the opposite is true, what you need to do is unconditionally listen, uh, tune into their challenges and problems, as you rightly said, uh, with authenticity. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned mm-hmm, you mentioned refreshing culture, and I love that. Uh, you know, we're all such big fans of refreshing softwares and you know, getting updates on all yeah. the technology that we're using. Uh, and there's a huge demand for it. Um, Alan, in your highly acclaimed book, uh, they, in your highly acclaimed framework, The Seven Steps to Profit, um, in which both companies in the B2B and the B2C space have benefited a lot, step two is culture. Uh, specifically, you call it refresh your culture. A lot of corporate leaders that I interact with have expressed this sort of vague desire to refresh their culture and an immediate desire at this point of time, given the entire the turmoil that the world has been through. Um, could you please help us with more information, elaborate on the need of refreshing culture and how do leaders go about it? Sure. So the thing is, Simmer, every organization in the world has a culture. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality. It's what is culture? Culture is a collection. It's like the, the collective programming of the mind. Mm-hmm. And it's a, as a consequence, then, it's a set of behaviors sure. that, for example, you'll find some organizations are very fast-moving, some very mm-hmm. slow-moving. Mm-hmm. You might find some that are very people-centric, some much more task-focused. You mm-hmm. might find some where there's a very strong blame culture. Mm -hmm. or there's a bureaucracy or an autocratic culture. So you get all these descriptors, but the reality is every organization currently at all times has a culture. But when it's undefined, what you tend to get then is a mishmash. You get a a mixed culture depending Mm -hmm. on the leadership style of different individuals Mm -hmm. or depending on maybe the particular entity 
with the department they're in. And that's not okay, because right. the consequence of that is that you might find one leader who's very strong on, let's pretend, accountability. Right. And another leader, not so much, and people get off the hook. Yeah. You might find a different leader who is very agile in his own personal style, and uh -huh. his team, therefore, is fast moving. Uh -huh. And you might find another leader who maybe is a different mindset and is much more slower paced and much more considerate sure. and don't get things done. And that inconsistency flows out into customer interactions. And at the end of the day, culture is about driving money. Mm -hmm. I, I often describe it as it's a, a it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, culture is often considered the fluffy, the soft stuff. But let me make no bones about this. Culture is about the hard stuff. It's about driving more money into the business. And therefore, because every company already has a culture that may very well be inconsistent at different corners of the business, which is not okay. Therefore, I use the word refreshing because mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're doing you're pressing the reboot the on off switch on the sure. old culture and deciding what operating system you want in your hardware think about this mm -hmm. all the products that you sell the markets that you service the it systems that you use to power the business consider uh -huh. them the hardware simmer of your business yeah right but the software in other words the operating system is the behaviors and right. that's culture so when you refresh your culture to uh -huh. drive the behaviors that you want to see, for example, uh -huh. if you want everybody in the organization to be, for example, customer focused, yep. well, that's a cultural trait that you can create that in the culture and ensure it's at every touch point. Or another example, accountability mm -hmm. or respect. What if you find that maybe people are not being as respectful to each other's, meaning they're not including the right people at the right time, communications are not good, or they're speaking to people in a manner yeah. that's inappropriate, or they're looking down on people because of their position or whatever, right. which is not okay. All of these things can be corrected with a culture ref refresh program. Do you know there are so many companies out there, Simmer, that I, I find so many organizations are out there and they believe that they yeah. have their dis desired culture because they have values on their website or whatever it's total bs because if you check are they really living those values i would say more often they're not living them so mm -hmm. i'd almost say to those people remove those values mm -hmm. regularly i'll give an example i was working with a client very recently in the uk this is a one and a half billion pound company that mm -hmm. is part of a multi-billion international company okay they were asking me to speak at their conference and they want me to speak on customer experience which mm -hmm. is one of my hot topics sure but when i'm speaking at any conference i always interview a few people beforehand to in order to build empathy understanding so i can tailor the presentation for them mm -hmm. and interestingly to me to drive a customer experience face to the business requires mm -hmm. a certain culture that's culture mm -hmm. so naturally my keynote was going to be about culture linked to customer experience so mm -hmm. i interviewed the ceo and two other people from the board and a couple of other people and i asked each one of them what are your values well let me tell you simmer first of all uh -huh. i had seven which is far too many right. but not one person could tell me what the values were i might get one value from one person another from another person now, would you say that company has a consistent culture without even knowing their name? Of mm. course not. Yeah, chances and are slim. Mm. To find the values, that says a huge amount to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, um, you know, when we could have the best, um, you know, the HR orientation program or, you know, values on the website or creatively companies go to great lengths to ensure that they're communicating to their teams what culture ought to be like. Uh, but then you find a huge mismatch the moment you talk to one person or listen to their point of view or see how they operate. And there's a huge gap in between. And you rightly said that a lot of leaders have this misconception that just by putting those values out there or talking about them freely, they are being lived as well. Um, any any practical tips to help bridge the gap? So it's a two-part question here, Alan. One is um, any specific pointers where, so let's say, I've discovered there's a huge mismatch in where my organization currently stands when it comes to customer service and where I'd like it to be. Um, And of course, since people are so used to doing things their own way, there's going to be some amount of resistance. You know, people are in their comfort zones, et cetera. So two questions. Any any first steps that you would recommend a leader should take? That's my question number one. Two, can this be incentivized? Do you feel that's a good strategy uh, for a leader to incentivize a cultural change by... I don't know, offering something for good behavior or um, can it be speeded up or is this a slow, natural process, uh, Alan? Okay, so the first thing is in getting it kicked off. Yeah. Um, let me just put put this in a very, very practical term, Simmer. Sure. Culture to me is all wrapped around a set of appropriate values for the organization. Mm-hmm. So with my clients, I've got two clients I'm working with in Dubai right now, heading down in a couple of weeks' time, mm-hmm. on, working on a culture refresh program. Some, Most of it I can do online, and other parts of it I visit them. Today uh-huh. I'm going to the UK, working with a, a major retailer on their culture refresh program. The process by which we achieve that is the same. The answers will be different, though, because every client is different. Sure. But to me, culture is all built on a set of values. Mm-hmm. Now, let me... Let me shape this for you and so you understand my practical thinking here. Please. Each one of us, Simmer, we live our own personal lives by a set Mm -hmm. of values that more than likely include words like respect, integrity, honesty, Mm -hmm. hard work ethic, benevolence, trust, caring, etc. So you and I, that's, they would typically be the values that we live our lives by. But mm-hmm. what has that got to do with an organization? Well, let me give an example. Mm-hmm. I want you to just take respect as one example. And I want you to imagine, Simmer, that you and I are going home this evening from work mm-hmm. on a train. Mm-hmm. We jump on the train early in the journey, and we're sitting comfortably chatting away to each other. And the train moves along on its journey. And as it does, more people get on the train, and the train fills up, where there are no seats left, so it's standing room only, but you and Mm -hmm. I are sitting pretty. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to imagine that at the next stop, an elderly gentleman or a pregnant woman gets on board the train. Now, what are you going to do? Without having to refer to a checklist, or what should I do here? Yeah, Offer my seat, yeah. You you instinctively just Mm -hmm. do the right thing. You offer your seat. Now, think about that, Simmer. That's a behavior which is a direct result of a value that you hold dear in sure. your core, called mm-hmm. respect. You're taught it as a child by your parents. Mm-hmm. The society mm-hmm. around you lived that value. Mm-hmm. So consequently, whenever you find yourself in that situation, your mm-hmm. response is relevant. Now you scale that example up to the multitudes within an organization. So if you want 
in the, within your organization for your people to be maybe customer focused or to be accountable or to be respectful or to be agile or to be innovative or have integrity, whatever it is. Right. The way you get those behaviors, because Simmer, after all, if you were to try to identify every behavior mm. scenario within your business, sure, the list would be as long as from here to Sydney in Australia. Mm-hmm. But you roll all those behaviors up into groups, and the groups are called values. And mm-hmm. this, to me, is the secret, that if you want to get your team on board, you've got to shape a set of values, starting with discovery, mm-hmm. to understand what are the right values for this business, yep. and what mm-hmm. are the current ones, and therefore, mm-hmm. that gives you the gap. And you build a program then, which is uh, absolutely possible. The second part of uh-huh. your question, which is linked to that, is the incentives. Right. You know, to me, there's one big issue coming out of COVID for organizations the world over, and that mm-hmm. is staff retention, recruitment and retention. Indeed. Everywhere I go, co- um, companies are struggling with getting people, whether it's Dubai, UK, mainland Europe, US, you hear it all around the world. Mm-hmm. Where have all these people gone? I don't know. But there's a real issue. Now, if you want to find the right talent, and if you want to retain the best talent, it's all about your employer brand, having your people engaged with you in your brand, not just engaged in the work that they're doing, but in the overall brand that you are. And that is about having the right culture. Now you can incentivize people. It doesn't have to be, it's not about money or days off. It's about atmosphere within the organization because Simon, you've heard the expression, people don't leave don't just leave the business a company for money. I know there's money being thrown around the world these days, Mm -hmm. but actually Mm -hmm. money is not the greatest motivator. Mm -hmm. They leave because of the way they're treated, because of the atmosphere within the company. That's mainly why people leave. Mm -hmm. And if you work with your culture to refresh, to to get the right culture, that's incentive enough, Simmer, genuinely. That Mm -hmm. if you create that and you do that in an inclusive way, that your people feel engaged with that, they'll be engaged with your brand. That's the big incentive. Indeed, and especially during tough times. And, um, you know, with with a lot of uh, people that I speak to, some of them had really good experience, uh, Alan, during this, uh, despite the challenges at the workplace, as far as their employers were concerned, in terms of how were they looked after, and, you know, if there were any pay cards, how did they go about it, versus others who had a very negative uh, experience. And that sort of shaped their entire worldview now. There certain folks are very, um, there's a lot of pessimism, there's a lot of cynicism in their v- worldview around, you know, working for another corporation again, if they were mistreated earlier. And there's others who've um, come out of this process uh, uh, with, with a lot of faith and confidence in the companies that they've worked with. So it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword, depending upon how the leaders um, use this opportunity is because what happens during a calamity, you know, or during a tough time, it stays with us for a really long time. And so you never forget two people, two categories of people, those that you laughed with and th- those that you cried with. And, in, 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 you know, say if, if your company was there to look after you, if your boss was there to give you that um, the psychological safety during these challenging times, um, you now have more confidence. And he rightly said it's going beyond money. The war for talent is not just about money anymore. It's about work cultures. It's about do you care? It's about care for the employees. It's about am I treated as a valuable human being in this organization or not? Um, 
But I, I wanted to know your opinion because um, there's this whole conversation about the post-COVID world and the challenges leaders are going to face. Um, attracting and retailing talent is definitely one of them. But since you're also an expert in um, you know the customer experience, um, and so talk to us from, about from this uh, multiple dimensions. What uh, as you foresee top challenges, cultural challenges, or change management challenges in the post-COVID world for, for leaders of organizations? So internally, Simmer, uh, the issue of people is is a real, as I mentioned already, the recruitment mm. and retention of great talent. But it's very interesting. The concept, the issue of mental health became very prevalent during, mm. the, the, during the pandemic, the close down, right. the lockdown. And I actually saw it firsthand working with my clients online much more than ever before. And I remember one example of this particular person that um, this particular person came on calls uh, every second week with this culture program. She was part of a steering group. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed her form was changing and she was less bubbly and less bright and cheerful as she she had been in the the beginning. And actually Simmer, and this is... um, it's actually very unfair of me to make this comment, but I also noticed that she was putting on weight. And it's very interesting. One day, um, the, whatever happened at the team's call, she and I were the only ones on the call, and we got chatting. And I mm-hmm. stayed chatting with her for two hours mm-hmm. because I discovered she was not in a good place. She actually acknowledged to me that mm-hmm. I was the only person that I'd spoken to her about non-work-related things in right. nine months. The only interaction she had was when she rang Tesco for to place her grocery order and mm-hmm. then the delivery guy when he come to the door. Wow. She had no human interaction. That's the only human in interaction in nine months. Mm. In nine months. Isn't mm-hmm. that scary? It and is. that to me was the employer missing a trick. That they mm-hmm. just, now, I alerted them to it without mentioning her name. And mm-hmm. the CEO then started engaging and being present and right. jumping on calls with people, not to talk about work, but to have a bit of fun, just to talk about life and so on. Right. And to recognize that people are going at different different uh, responses to this. So this mm-hmm. is to me is bringing authenticity as leaders to, because we're all in the same situation, similar. Right. We're all challenged with COVID and the worry of health and uh, friends and relatives who may be unwell mm-hmm. or unfortunately passed away. We've all got the same situation, regardless sure. of how many stripes you have on your arm. It's mm-hmm. a human thing. Mm-hmm. So to me, the, 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 the need to connect in with people at an authentic level and mm-hmm. I, I have what I call the leader's six-pack simmer. And number one in that leader's six-pack is humility. Okay. And humility, I believe, is the most important attribute that a leader should, could have. Wow. It's number one mm-hmm. because that sense of selflessness mm-hmm. and not putting yourself first but putting other people first in Indeed. an authentic way, it shows. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an answer for the internal matters, but for the external in terms of customer I honestly believe some of what I said with regard to the internal also spills over to the external, Mm -hmm. that depending on whether you're B2B or B2C, I mean, if you're a mass market B2C, it's very hard for you to be uh, connecting with individuals. I respect that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for those retailers who are moving online, Mm -hmm. where um, personalization is growing and growing online, Mm -hmm. for example, well, there are opportunities for providers, service providers to connect better with their customers. Sure. B2B, you have them all on the database. 
So relationships is going mm-hmm. to be critically important. Indeed. I'm working with an insurance company in the UAE mm-hmm. who um, came out of COVID with having to reposition their business model. They used to major in motor insurance. Okay. But in the UAE, out of 10 million people, 8 million expats in total, or whatever the number are, right. 2 million people left the country, which mm. meant, and of course, people weren't driving cars. Mm. So car insurance went down dramatically. Mm-hmm. So this particular company mm. were cut with overexposed to one particular product stream. They've had mm. to reposition completely. So mm-hmm. I've facilitated their strategy rebuild to refocus their business model on brokers so that they can build connections and personal mm-hmm. relationships with those brokers. So to me, you'll see very strong. Now, look, Simmer, your culture in India and my culture in Ireland, we're, we are very, very similar in that there's a very strong sense of family Indeed. and connecting friendships. Mm-hmm. We're yep. very strong. We're very alike in that regard. True. So it comes to me quite easily, this concept of connecting and being at one with another person and i know it does in your culture too and that to me is going to help us to win because Mm -hmm. if that's it's that authenticity that ability to connect and smile and look at somebody honestly in the eyes and be able to work with them to me is a really strong attribute if you can do it now teams or webex or whatever online platforms make that harder but i still believe we should try to do that Absolutely. Very well said. And I believe if there's an intent behind it, um, this technology can actually facilitate those sort of interactions, even if they're not as good as in person. But at least there's something because you're connecting, you're opening up. And on, I'd, I'd just like to comment a little bit on both the things that you said, both on the internal part and the external part. Internal, you said trait number one for leaders moving forward in a post-COVID world is humility. Uh, and I'm reminded of Jim Collins and his level five leadership. Uh, what he called level five leadership was, which is the highest tier according to the good to great in his book, he said is intense professional will combined with deep humility, which is a rare combination because the drive, Uh the aggressive nature, the go-getter attitude, which brought them to level four. And now there needs to be an internal sort of um, dichotomy that these two things have to exist, coexist, which is the intense drive to achieve and to generate profits and do what corporation needs to do, as well as the desire to serve, which is putting putting your ego aside. And I think that's more important now than ever before. And I love what you said about the second part there, Alan, which is uh, personal, uh, how things have to be personalized and the human connection, whether it's leaders connecting with their employees or corporations connecting with their customers, that human connection needs to take the center stage once again, regardless of how many bots or how many algorithms, or how many other things you got working for you, because uh, at the end of the day, I believe, sincerely believe it's human beings who run the world, not technology. Technology is an, an enabler, uh, you know, at best. And we should not let that uh, overtake the human factor at any point of time. And I, I found some very interesting quotes, uh, uh, Alan, at the back of your book, which is a very interesting book. I highly recommend you grab a copy of this. We'll um, share the link in the description below. And some very interesting quotes there towards the end. One of them um, I'd like to read um, and welcome your comments on that. Digital disruptors change the dynamic in an industry. Um, Now, in a developing country like India, uh, it's not just changing the dynamic. It could be an existential threat for certain sectors when it goes digital. However, you know, new opportunities emerge as we as we look back, markets mature, things change. Digital disruptors change the dynamic in an industry. You can embrace it or ignore it. Coping with it is up to you. 
And agility is one of my um, mantras that I live by as well. And that's it's courtesy to my personal um, personality trait of agility that we we reinvented this entire virtual studio thing last eighteen months and um, um, help us. Thank you, thank you. It's been an interesting journey, a very um, you know uphill task to learn all the technology behind it, but deeply rewarding in in the same process. Um, Alan, your thoughts on how cultures and organizations can be more agile and open to change from the bottom up? I know it's always leadership intention. We have to be agile. You know, it's the buzzword these days. But with, especially with large corporations, it becomes, you know, the bigger they get, the more difficult it becomes, you know. And, um, um, so what are your thoughts on that subject? Agility and adaptability in, in a changing world. Okay. So um, the first thing is the word agility has been stolen by software developers when they took that time out on the top of the mountain somewhere to right. think about how they could improve their processes right. and their, the scrum, their, their, uh, their speed yeah. to market. Uh-huh. Yeah, but um, let's get back to the, the the reality of what the word means. The word mm-hmm. is all about speed and mm-hmm. pace, pace mm-hmm. more than anything. And that, mm-hmm. like you said, adaptability and flexibility. And mm-hmm. if we just keep that as in in our mind, that's what we're talking about here. Sure. And why is that so important? Well, here's the thing: when I'm doing strategy uh, refresh with clients of mine, what I say to them is that look. We will build a three to five year strategy. In other words, we'll have our our eyes on three to five years out. But in reality, all we can do is build a plan for the next 400 days Mm. because the world is moving so fast. Now, even before COVID, even before COVID, the pace of change, I mean, this is this is your 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 VUCA, the pace Mm. of change, the complexity, the volume of change was Uh growing exponentially already. And now look at what has happened on the back of COVID. So sure. this is a reality for every industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are lots of um, hedge fund investors over in um, Silicon Valley who are sitting there invest, looking for things to invest in, looking mm-hmm. for opportunities to disrupt. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Airbnb and Netflix and Uber. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. all just inventions by digital guys who said, look, mm-hmm. we want to disrupt because we can using mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. And whatever business we're in right now, you can be sure there's somebody thinking about ways to accelerate it, disrupt it, and so on. Right. So if we, in an organization, don't have that sense of pace, mm-hmm. and it is about pace. Now, in practical terms, what does that mean? Well, it might mean, for example, um, developing a new product. Like mm-hmm. the speed at which we um, incubate the idea and mm-hmm test it and bring it to market has got to be shorter than ever before. Sure. The speed at which we make decisions even within at a local level, you know, maybe giving more autonomy, more empowerment and um, driving innovation at a mm-hmm. local level, mm-hmm. but safe innovation. So in other mm-hmm. words, we're not asking people to innovate and lose the family um, the family jewels. Mm-hmm. If you set parameters around how innovation should be done, that it should use, for example, design thinking or other such mm-hmm. methodologies, mm-hmm. that then it is safe. You're giving the, the, the innovators, the ideators, the creators, the best chance of success by giving them process by which they do their innovation. Right. So to me, it, it is business critical that regardless of what business you're in, you need to have a sense of pace that is faster than ever before. And that's from local decision-making level right up to big strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. And it is critical, business critical in my view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, which is uh, very important at the end of the day because um, how quickly an idea can be executed upon and you can bring it to the market. Take the vaccines, for example, you know. Um, I hope it was the innovation part was <laughs> happened within parameters and in a safe space, right? Yeah. But uh, at the yeah. same time, there was a pressing, urgent need um, as soon as the breakthroughs were made to make it into a, a product that can actually be rolled out into the market and still a challenge across the world. You know, many countries still have a lot of issues getting hold of the vaccines and then taking it out to their populations. But agility, I think it comes, this, this term comes more from the jungle environment, you know, in hunting scenarios and when the leopard, we say the leopard, Leopard is a very agile uh, animal because it responds to those changes uh, very well. I love this quote by Professor Stephen Hawking who said, um, intelligence is your measure, your ability to adapt to change. And I think um, it, that, that makes a lot of sense to me personally because intelligence is not about your past successes, how good you were in the past or um, you know the college that you went to or the, how, your grades, etc. It's how quickly you're able to um, identify, anticipate, and respond to a changing environment. Absolutely. And, you know, it reminds me of a retailer. Um, I mean, in the UK, I have worked with brands like Harrods and Selfridges, and mm -hmm. these are really iconic brands. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently working with a department store chain called Fennec. And Fennec was, is a family business that goes back 150 years. Mm -hmm. And they obviously they were locked down like everybody else last year. But they, they, they engaged a new CEO who right. came to the business about a year and a half ago. Uh -huh. And um, in the background, he, he asked me to help him and his board put together a plan for reopening. Okay. And it was quite interesting to see the dynamic in the, on, the, on the video calls. Because when it came to reopening, the operations guys were saying, okay, well, look, once we get the decision from government, this needs to happen, this needs, and we should be open. Yeah, I'd say in about three weeks. Mm. Well, John nearly had a heart attack listening mm. to that. And indeed, as a facilitator, I also nearly had a heart attack. Listen, three weeks to reopen after lockdown? Come mm -hmm. on, guys. Mm. And the reason being was this was an organization that was just very, very, Pay, leisurely paced for years. Mm. I mean, they're very, very wealthy. So I used they to that. They own the mm -hmm. buildings. There was no sense of real dramatic retail dynamism and pace in the business. Uh -huh. And John just cut through that. Right. And the way to do that was by getting the right people in the room to uh -huh. identify all of the obstacles to opening, all of the issues, and get the decisions made there and then in the room. And of course, we did it. And uh, Simmer, they opened once the announcement was made by government uh -huh. on a particular date. They opened literally on the day. Right. And that was the that's agility. That is wow. a real example of agility. It's that sense of pace, getting the right people in the room, using the right methodologies and models mm -hmm. to plan your way through things, mm -hmm. and giving people the best chance of success, not setting them up for failure. Absolutely. And it also about dropping any additional baggage from the past that you have that's preventing you to go at that speed. You know, you talked about disruptions earlier, and it's my sincere belief that disruptors don't set out to be disruptors. Uh, they um, spot gaps in, uh, you know, whether it's a market model which is inefficient and then say, hey, you know, here's an opportunity. It's, it's all about going for opportunities, right? And then you use yeah. technology and, you know, the right people, as you said, who needs to get on the bus, who needs to get off the bus in terms of your uh, people uh, capabilities, what technology, and then 
what is driving this entire pursuit is an opportunity out there. So let's say uh, Uber Eats, for example, or in India, we have uh, all these food delivery apps. They've sort of reinvented this entire. So your favorite food place, you had to actually travel 45 minutes, wait in a queue. It could be very packed if it's a popular joint. And now it's all online. And what's happened, it's a win-win situation for many of the participants except a few, uh, but I, I don't think these billion dollar companies started out with an intent say, let's disrupt it. I, say, I think it's more driven by let's improve it. It's so stuck in the stone age. There's gotta be a better way yeah. out for doing this. And that intent then dr- brings in technology, people, systems, procedures. What ends up as an outcome is, is the disruption. And I think, uh, Alan, perhaps you agree with me, business leaders, they, they at once in a while, they should look at their own uh, operations from an outsider's perspective. Say, hey, you know, if I could, w- what are your thoughts on uh, that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, completely, but I completely agree with your point about disrupting. Disrupting is an end result of that, uh, that, that creation of a new idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, I would regularly say to a client, um, you know the expression, if it ain't broken, don't fix it? Don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, I completely turn that on its head. I say to my people all the time, if it's not broken, then break it. Right. Break it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because now you may put it back together exactly the same way that it was. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you change, change, change just for the sake of change. Agreed. But you at least examine the concept. Re-evaluate Mm-hmm. In my seven steps to profit, in fact, step number two and three is where every year you take time out to just check in and mm-hmm. ask yourself the appropriate questions. In fact, I would say to even well-established businesses that uh-huh. you've got to think like a startup. You yep. know, these organizations in the West Coast of the U.S. or wherever they might be, in, right. in your back garden, in your uh-huh. garage, yep. that, that sense of thinking like a startup is to me is an ingredient that we should all embrace, even well-established businesses, because that's the way your competitors are thinking, or some Absolutely. of your competitors. At least. Absolutely. They're thinking about how can we pivot? How can we twist? How can we turn? How can we tweak? How can we fine tune? How can we improve? How can we innovate? They're yep. asking these questions. And if we don't ask ourselves those same questions, we will become followers. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a follower. We can't mm-hmm. all be leaders, mm-hmm. but how far back you're willing to be of, of in that line of followers, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be down the end with you. Right. Yep. So to try Absolutely. and be somewhere up in the in the top bunch, uh-huh. that requires that sense of objectivity, yep. regular objectivity, and looking in and asking. And you know that's the great advantage, dare I say it, of having facilitators like uh-huh. you and I to yep. come along. And you know, when I'm doing a strategy session, for example, I would come in um, and show a checklist of kind of things to consider. If we're looking at product as part of the, strat- the strategy refresh, mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. only, well, I produce a checklist that goes down through things that asks the retailer, in this case, mm-hmm. questions about their business that they don't think about on a daily basis because they're so right. busy doing. Absolutely. Similar. But mm-hmm. when you take time out to ask the what might seem like silly questions, it's mm-hmm. quite incredible the conversations that can be generated on the back mm-hmm. of those simple mm-hmm. questions and it's that philosophy of constantly uh, asking and checking and breaking it if it's even if it is not broken breaking it mm-hmm. and putting it back together again 
or as he rightly said, if not, you know, not changing just for the sake of changing, but reevaluating it, even if you put it back together, which, which makes a lot of sense, because in that process, what will happen is you will question a lot of things, you know, you will, you're going to say, is this really relevant now? Or uh, what is this leading up to you? I love your true north principle, which is in your seven step framework is, is, is the number one, I believe, right? Find, find your yes. true north. And um, Alan, with a lot of companies that I work with, a lot of individuals that I coach or speak to, they're hard pressed to find a, a definitive answer to this. What is your true north? Um, we have a slogan in my little team. We call it keep the main thing, the main thing, uh, which means let's not get carried away with social media or publicity or, you know, podcasting or YouTube videos, which are all fine, by the way. This entire ecosystem supports what I do and the value we add to the world. But hey, the main thing is bringing cutting edge ideas to people who make decisions so they can make better decisions. So corporations can become better, nations can be become better, schools and universities can come become better. And that we out offer an outsider's perspective, you know, free from any bias. Uh, and that, so we have to, this small team that I have, we frequently sit down to remind each other what is the main thing? And here's what happens. The main thing evolves and grows and, you know, it changes shape and form every now and then. And we have there are some things that are new on the list. For example, they come in. So whether it's uh, collaborations, whether it's other things, and but then certainly not taking your eye off the ball and um, at the same time evaluating, are you do you have your eyes on the right ball or not? Or the game has changed. You might be playing by the rules, but what if someone changes the rules and there's a brand new game? Are you fit for it or not? Exactly, exactly. Mm. And that, that North Star, it's so important. And again, it's a bit like culture and values, Simmer, that I mm. mentioned earlier on. So mm. many companies have their their vision statement and they actually don't know what it is right. because it's not, it's just not, it's never used, it's never articulated, it's never a part of the, the narrative. And to me, again, it's in why bother having it? Because that vision statement, it's incredibly important, that yep. North Star, because it does give shape to mm -hmm. what you what you're trying to do and it makes it easy then for for people to for to fall into line um, Absolutely. for example yeah one, one of my clients in dubai is in, in the oil and gas business and they were in in the piping business mm -hmm. and uh, their old vision referred to steel piping and that was too narrow for them right. because as the world had moved on and there's other there's other types of pipes now that, that are relevant in different materials so they actually revisited as part of my program with them mm -hmm. they revisited their their north star their vision statement mm -hmm. and they dropped the word steel mm -hmm. and the impact that had on the procurement guys on right. the sales guys now interacting they now can say yes we do other right. things and not just steel piping uh -huh. it was quite quite remarkable and right. having that clearly defined vision to me is clear is really critically important and now as you know, Simmer, your vision statement wouldn't change every year in the same mm -hmm. way that your strategy would change. Mm -hmm. To mm -hmm. me, in my seven steps, step number one, which is find your North Star mm -hmm. and culture, they tend to be locked in for a number of years. Right. But at the same time, having the North Star defined and communicated makes mm -hmm. it very easy, therefore, for, for people to fall into line and know exactly what we're about. But mm -hmm. I like your style, Simmer, the way you take time out yourselves to reflect on your own um, North Star and check, are you guys sticking to it? And are, mm -hmm. are you going off piste, mm -hmm. in other words? Are you going off track and pulling yourselves back in? 
because if you believe in your North Star, which you clearly do, mm-hmm. that becomes like exactly like the North Star. It keeps you on track. Absolutely. And there, there's so many distractions around, you know, there's social media, there's so many other things that you would want to do, but you have to come back to it, uh, you know, uh, because that's sort of the, um, um, it, it helps you narrow down on the options and say no. I think it's Steve Jobs who said about strategy, learning what to refuse, learning what to say no to is as important as knowing what to say yes to. And that clarity only emerges once you have this conversation every now and then. Perhaps, Alan, would you, you would also agree with me here on this, um, that the vision statements need to be something that people down the hierarchy can relate with, that it's in simple terms. Often I come across vision statements which are very vague and out there and, you know, full of jargon. And I don't know how it connects with my day-to-day job description. So for me, it's another fancy set of words. Your thoughts on that, please? Yeah, in fact, um, I think you're probably possibly alluding to Jim Collins once again. In fact, you've prompted me now to reread his book because mm-hmm. I forgot about that point he made about humility and leadership. So that's yeah. that's wonderful. But he also talks about a vision statement that there are certain questions you need to <coughs> pardon me, challenge yourself on. Like, for example, is your vision statement, is it, well, first of all, Simmer, of course it should be short, snappy and concise, mm-hmm. but it should be inspirational. We should also believe that it is achievable. It should be motivational. We should be passionate about it. So these are the key questions we need to ask ourselves because remember, vision is all about the external focus, about what we want to be when we Mm -hmm. grow up as Mm -hmm. an organization, Mm -hmm. whereas mission is more about the internal, how we're going to do that. So think about Mission Impossible, for example, the film. Mission Mm -hmm. is what we do. Vision is about what we want to be. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Simmer, and, and it's well worth revisiting Jim Collins' mm-hmm. uh, key questions around vision, that they need to answer those questions. Inspirational, yep. passion, can we make money from it? Can we all right. buy into it? And mm-hmm. so on. Makes sense. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Alan O'Neill, you've been very generous with your time. I sincerely support you. Appreciate you for being here today. Um, you've shared your wisdom freely with us and we talked about a lot of different aspects. Uh, I really thank you for that. Before we let you go, um, any parting words of wisdom, especially for leaders who are driving change right now, who are struggling with this huge amount of changes in front of them? Okay, well, um, I'm going to say two things. First of all, I'll answer your question by saying it's about you connecting with your people. So Mm -hmm. the big challenge for change management is have a process don't just go randomly tomorrow morning and in a reactive way to this for example the, this this chat we've had i just react by changing something everything requires a plan have mm-hmm. a process and there are lots of tried and trusted processes I- out there and mm-hmm. of course i'd be delighted to chat to any of your listeners about that but there is a process number one number two mm-hmm. remember some of the points we've made in this conversation about that sense of humility and empathy. And that means in recognizing that change is about people. Fundamentally, sure. it's about people. So right. make sure you bring in your people. And then I'm going to also, uh, moving away from that answer, say to you, Simmer, thank mm-hmm. you for mm-hmm. engaging with me and inviting me to speak with you. I've thoroughly enjoyed our interactions and I'm really, really impressed with your whole approach and your professionalism and your questions were just terrific. So thank you, Simmer. 
Thank you so much, sir. Yes, I appreciated our chat today. And I'm sure you'll have loads of follow-up questions uh, from our audience, whether it's on LinkedIn or YouTube. Um, and for everybody who's tuned into this conversation, Culture Matters just came out. It's a wonderful book through a great storytelling, some very important key points in leading change, especially in a changing world. You'll find the link in the description, um, as well as uh, all of uh, Alan's social media handles. Once again, Alan, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Thank you, Simon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye now.